the extraordinary healing power of ordinary things. You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Dr. Larry Dossey. Dr. Dossey is an internist and formerly chief of staff of Medical City Dallas Hospital. He's also the author of nine books, including a New York Times bestseller. And his most recent book, The Extraordinary Healing Power of Ordinary Things, was published by Random House in 2006. Dr. Dossey is past president of the Isthmus Institute of Dallas, an organization dedicated to exploring the possible convergences of science and religious thought. Dr. Dossey comes to us today from his office in Santa Fe. Larry, thanks for being with us today. We, we appreciate it. Well, Dr. Cohn, it's great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. Well, I venture to say that uh, mind-body connections and interventions were probably not how you started in the medical game. I wonder if you might share with us some of your professional life as an internist and uh, how you got into some of these interests. Well, I had a very conventional medical education, and I think I, like most young doctors, was infatuated by the things that were taught in medical school, the overwhelming use of drugs and surgical procedures to solve almost every problem if we can. But I uh, had my head turned severely by a personal medical experience which shaped really my attitudes toward the role of mind and its interaction with the body. I uh, had, from grade school onward, a significant medical problem which almost ended my medical career before it even got off the ground. I had classical migraine headache of a severe variety. It wasn't just the nausea and vomiting and headache that was the major problem. For me, it was partial blindness, profound scotomas, which would just appear out of nowhere. And actually, this got so bad during medical school that I actually tried to drop out because it became an ethical issue for me. I thought it was just a matter of time until I would be in a critical medical situation where I would have an attack of partial blindness and would even possibly hurt or maybe even kill someone. But my advisor wouldn't let me drop out. So I persevered. This got so bad over the years that in desperation, when biofeedback erupted on the medical scene in this country in the early 70s, I chased all over the country learning how to do this as a patient. It was miraculous for me. The headaches and the scotomas virtually went away. You can't go through an experience like that and not be profoundly influenced by it, I think. And I started a biofeedback laboratory, one of the first in Texas, and taught our patients at Dallas Diagnostic Association biofeedback after becoming certified in it and practiced that alongside internal medicine for quite a number of years. Moving from that, how did you become interested in, as your book says, ordinary things that have healing power? Well, things have always attracted my attention. When you think about it, something as simple as using imagery and visualization and relaxation and biofeedback is a very low-tech thing to do, uh, using one's emotions and thoughts and, and so on to make a difference in your physiology is using inexpensive approaches, to say the least. So these things have always sort of captured uh, my attention, I guess. I had an experience also which uh, shaped my attitude toward these things in medical school. As a senior getting ready to go to medical school at the University of Texas, I came down with acute appendicitis, had an emergency appendectomy at the Student Health Center, uh, which I don't recommend, <laughs> by the way. Uh, in any case, when I woke from surgery, I was really scared. I, you know, Nobody there. It was an emergency rushed-up deal. I didn't even meet the surgeon ahead of time. 
I was scared and alone and, and really in a tremendous pain when I woke up. And something really very simple uh, happened. A nurse came by, and she simply held my hand, and she said, Don't worry, Larry, everything's going to be just fine. It was one of those things where, you know, looking back, you wonder what the heck happened. But just as a result of this simple intervention, this compassionate nurse's touch, the pain vanished almost immediately. So did the sense of aloneness and isolation and and so on. And I was never able to forget that. And I thought, gee, you know, this was not expensive. This was very low-tech. It was touched by definition. And something in that moment really really shifted in my physiology, and I was sort of hooked on simple interventions, I guess, starting way back there. Well, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. I'm speaking with Dr. Larry Dossey, and we're talking about the extraordinary healing power of ordinary things. So, Larry, let's talk a little bit about some of those things. I uh, have to tell you, I enjoyed your book, but some of the titles of the chapters are a little unusual. You're a physician, and you're writing chapter titles like Dirt, Bugs, uh, Tears. Uh, how'd you come to these topics? What were your criteria? The criteria to make the cut for the book and be one of these chapters was that, first of all, there had to be compelling clinical and scientific evidence favoring the use of these simple things. And secondly, I wanted the chapters to be a little bit outrageous uh, to capture a reader's attention. That's basically the criteria I set up very early for these things being included in the book. Well, let's take one of them, dirt. That'll be interesting. What's healing about dirt? Well, dirt's back after being <laughs> <laughs> practically been? banished for most of the 20th century as we became increasingly obsessed with hygiene. There's some interesting facts about dirtiness and hygiene. For example... We know that children who are raised in unhygienic environments, the classic example of kids who are raised on farms, these children turn out to have robust immune systems. They have a lower incidence of infections, lower incidence of childhood asthma, allergies, uh, eczema, when compared to kids who are raised in very clean environments where their parents try to keep them squeaky clean 24 hours a day. Hmm. The going thinking about how this operates relates to something that's being called the hygiene hypothesis, which has been kicking around for a few years now after originating in Great Britain. And the basic idea is that children, when their immune systems are in the process of developing, need exposure to the microbes that are in dirt. The one that's getting most pressed these days is a form of mycobacterium, not the one that causes tuberculosis, but another one. So children who are exposed to these immunological challenges wind up to have more responsive, perkier immune systems as they get older. Getting dirty isn't the only way to stimulate uh, this process. We now know that the same statistics are found in kids who are raised in daycare, which may be a consolation to parents who, you know, may feel a bit guilty about parking their kids in daycare all the time. But the thinking is the same. It's assumed that kids interchange and have contact with a huge variety of viruses, bacteria, fungi, and so on in daycare settings where, you know, as anybody who's looked at kids interact, you know, they're always exchanging secretions and, you know, loving on each other and touching and so on. And so it's thought that the same process occurs in these kinds of situations as occurs among children who are raised in unhygienic environments. 
Well, let's say that uh, we're talking to parents who are taking those kinds of recommendations. Seriously, any advice you'd give to parents about their current obsession with dirt? Yeah, I'd say relax and take a deep breath and let your kids frolic outside without trying to ride herd over them hygiene-wise too tightly. There are a lot of ways that parents, I think, can go about this. For example, when I was growing up uh, on a farm, we just simply didn't pay attention to obsessive cleanliness. Uh, We grew vegetable gardens. Uh, This remains my favorite way of getting exposure to dirt these days. I'm an inveterate gardener. I think parents ought to reconsider some of those old child-rearing rituals such as the sandbox in the backyard, which is a great way for parents to come at this. Letting children be exposed to a pet that roams outdoors, and then they have contact with it is another way of doing this. Kids used to do things like make mud pies. <laughs> right. And that's a pretty good way of getting some exposure to the dirtiness. I think that if parents put their minds to this, you know, they can come up with all sorts of ways of letting their kids get a bit dirty. I, I'm not advocating children not bathing or anything like that, right. which some parents have accused me of endorsing. But the healthy, constructive, uh, creative ways of exposure to dirt, such as gardening, remain my favorite, Gary. Yeah, it sounds like it's good for the soul and good for your immune system. Yeah. You know, I was fascinated. You've written also about some other tie-ins to dirt and diseases. Maybe you could talk a little bit about some work that was done with ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease and using one disease to kind of deal with another. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think this is one of the nicest clinical results that come out of this attention to exposure to dirt and dirtiness. And it was done at Tufts University and University of Iowa. The thinking is that we pay a price for not having an exposure to dirt in this way. This used to be an avenue, a way for parasites to enter the body. Bookworms, pinworms, and so on used to occur with regularity in about 50% of American kids as recently as the 1920s and 1930s. But because of massive deworming campaigns in our schools uh, mainly, Almost no American children now have intestinal parasites. Dr. Joel Weinstock and his colleagues began to wonder if eliminating parasites from the intestinal tract might have something to do with the epidemic of inflammatory bowel disease in America in adults. The main two types are, of course, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And so their thinking went this way. The immune system in the body was designed in some measure to act against intestinal parasites, which almost all people had in the pre-modern eras. But now that the parasites are gone, the immune system still directs its activity toward the intestinal tract where the parasites were. But the parasites being gone, now the immune activity is directed toward the lining of the intestinal tract where they previously lived. I see. So they began to take uh, people with ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease and reworm them. <laughs> now, this sounds gruesome to listeners, but I, I hope they won't be too put off by this. What they would do is to mix pinworm eggs from pigs with Gatorade, and the patients would drink this cocktail once a week for a couple months. The thinking was that the immune system would attack now not the lining of the GI tract, but the worms that had hatched from the eggs. There's no danger in a runaway infection here because 
pinworms from pigs will not multiply in the human GI tract, so they were safe there. And did it work? Well, something astonishing happened. They have reported 50 to 70% resolution rates in osteocolitis and Crohn's, respectively. And interestingly, these are not partial remissions. They report total remissions in these wretched diseases in the patients who respond wow. at 50 to 75% rate. That, that is pretty amazing. And I have to tell you, I appreciate your getting down and dirty with us on these topics, but we're going to have to close now. I want to thank Dr. Larry Dossey, who's been our guest. We've been discussing some of the extraordinary healing powers of ordinary things. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening.